Welcome to But Jesus Drank Wine and other stories that kept us stuck. I'm Mead. And I'm Christy. In this podcast, we'll explore the stories that kept us, well, stuck, wanting to drink and not wanting to drink all at the same time. Join us as we show you that freedom from alcohol does not have to mean a life sentence of misery and missing out, but actually means living an authentic life full of peace, joy, and purpose. Hi, everyone. Happy Monday. We are so, 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 so excited to have Brittany Tonkovich on the pod today. Britt is one of my clients. And oh my gosh, from the minute we had our first discovery call, I was just like, I knew we would be friends. She is a budding writer, a passionate Jesus girl, an avid outdoors woman. And I'm reading... (laughs) You read what you wrote. Wife to the devastatingly handsome Zebulon. You always called him Zeb in our sessions. I didn't know his name was Zebulon. Yeah, That's amazing. Zebulon. It's a biblical as of, name, too. As of <laughs> April. Love it. She is originally from Michigan, but lives in Pittsburgh. She loves to fly fish, ski, and she has an amazing, an amazing new substack called Somewhere by a Stream. And everyone's going to go go read all of it after this and we're going to put it in the show notes but welcome Brittany thank you Yay. so glad you're here thanks for having me on of course so tell us kind of your story how it all started with alcohol and how you ended up looking for a coach and all of the things and finding freedom from alcohol and Jesus and all of it <laughs> I feel like I'm sharing a testimony right now. So it's kind of, it is, it's so, it's so wrapped up in my, my personal testimony too. So there'll be a little bit of that that comes out, but my favorite. Yeah. 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 So I, you know, my, my experience with alcohol started young. I think I grew up in a household where it was part of our culture. It was part of, you know, it was always around. And I think I had my first like personal glass of wine, like probably around age 10, Somebody let me have like a little glass of wine, but it wasn't emphasized as something that was like that had a job. And I think that's really relevant to say that it never had a job in our household or in our family. But I knew that it was something I wanted to stay away from. And so when I was in high school, I was watching other kids party. I was hearing stories of what kids were doing. I went to school with my siblings at college. And I was like, I'm not going to be like that. Like, I'm going to be so straight laced. I want to be the most successful. I want to be like the most perfect, really just striving for, you know, this, this really ideal picture of my future. So I, my big thing was that I really wanted to go to the University of Michigan. And I was the zillionth person in my family to actually go there. All three of my older siblings were there. I had my dad went to Michigan. Like it was just like this whole family thing. And I really wanted to go to Michigan. I wanted to like be, I don't know, something like an investment banker or something like that, which uh, if you've never met an investment banker, like it's, they'll tell you it's really miserable. So I quickly moved away from that later. But I actually like applied really late. I was kind of arrogant about it. I was like, I'm a legacy. I'm I'm just going to get in. So I applied really late in the game and I got waitlisted and then rejected. And it was like this whole picture of my future, like everything that it hinged on was just gone in a minute. Like I just one tiny little envelope arrived that said, we don't have space for you this year. 
I, you know, a, a little bit of context is that I had been a, like sort of a Christian. Like I really thought I was a Christian. I went to some youth groups. There's a whole lot there. But that night I was like, what is this all for? Why am I making all these promises? And and felt like I'd been making promises to God and that like I should have rewards for that. And, you know, that night I was like, I'm going to go to my friend's house and I am going to drink. I think it was that night I smoked my first cigarette. I drank SoCo. I don't remember what I drank the SoCo with, but that was like, <laughs> I know. College. College. Oh, oh, it was real bad. I literally and just threw up in my mouth. I know. I know. We Me all too. remember the ickiest days. And from then on, I was kind of like a raging partier. And I'm not going to get into all the bad decisions I made. But, you know, when you spend two solid years as like this feral, wild child partying and, you know, I was like going to class drunk and showing up everywhere drunk and got a reputation for it. And uh, even in my family, which was really hard to live down. And, you know, and then partway through college, well, here's, here's the kicker, though, is that I did a semester of community college. I decided to like just, instead of go to my second choice, I thought I'm just gonna wait a year and apply again. And so I did. I applied again. And I got into Michigan and I went the next year. And it was that, like, it was, it was weird because it was like, I got what I wanted and it was just delayed. And that's going to be like kind of relevant to how I came to <laughs> Christy, like, help me. <laughs> you know, so I, I spent another year partying at Michigan and then I met a guy and we fell in love. And really, like, I continued to drink. I continued to party, but I wasn't like the wild child party animal that I had been. So we were going to get married. We had this whole future planned. And again, it tanked. Um, we broke up and I, and things went differently that time though, rather than leaning into drinking. I remember I was driving back from his house from picking up my stuff because we'd broken up that night and I was like, we're done. We're done. I'm never like, I'm getting it. I'm ripping the whole bandaid off now. And I was sitting at this stoplight in Ann Arbor and I just like, I was like, God, I know you're pursuing me and I don't get it. And I don't know who this Jesus guy is and I don't understand what like the gospel is or any of it, but I just feel like you're calling me. So like my life is yours. I don't know what else to say. Like just you're going to have to show me a lot of things because I don't know what I'm doing and I'm completely lost. And it was a it was a really like wild place to be because, you know, just a couple of years before I had been in that a really similar place of being really lost and really not knowing what to do. So I turned to alcohol and took on this whole new persona. And at that time, you know, I didn't have a great support system. Like our, you know, the my family life was not going well at that in that like sort of span of years. And I didn't have a support system and I didn't know what resources were available to me to feel like, oh my gosh, my whole future had been ripped out from underneath me and I didn't know what to do next. I didn't know where to turn. It was something that like I had to wrestle with for that two years though of like, 
when I didn't get into Michigan and my whole future disappeared, I was so lost and terrified. And I didn't have anybody to tell. Like, I didn't have anybody to talk to who was going to hear that and receive that and give me what I needed. And so, you know, I went to alcohol and just blazed my trail that way. And by the end of, by the time this boyfriend and I had broken up, like things were actually improving. And, you know, I had a support system that was sort of rebuilding itself. And I had, you know, sort of a sense that I wanted a future. And so I, I like leaned more into my support system and said, like, I'm really lost. <laughs> my whole future has been uprooted and I have no idea what I'm doing now. And like actually let people come into that space. Sometimes I look back at my like little younger self and I'm like, I wish you had just told somebody how lost and scared you were. Like, and, uh, but I think everything, it just, everything is testimony. So after that, like I spent two more successful years at Michigan. One was my senior year, uh, did really well. And then I went back to grad school to become a teacher and really excelled in that program. And, and then I'm going to like skip ahead a lot because I think the years between then and like 2018, that was like 2010 and 2018, weren't really that remarkable in terms of alcohol. You know, every once in a while I'd have like a big night of drinking, but I wouldn't say I was like a, like a hugely regular drinker. You know, if I, if I stayed busy, I didn't think about it too often. And it wasn't like, it wasn't always a daily part of my life. And then I'd go through spurts where it was. And then, you know, like there weren't really any patterns to pick out in, you know, drinking. It was sort of just un, unnotable, you know, in that interim. In 2018, I really felt like, like my body was sort of overwhelmed by it. And there, I was starting to see some, I hit like my thirties and I started to see that like, like it just wasn't jiving that well. And I wanted to like lose some weight. And so I gave up alcohol for a little while and I was so proud of myself. It was 70 days. And then at, at the end of that 70 days, I started drinking again. I went through a divorce and again, there's so much packed into these years that I'm skipping over. That's that's when I'm going to skip over. But I felt strongly after sort of like my divorce, after that, that like God was really calling me to get alcohol out of my life. So by like 2019, I'm going like, okay, I hear you. And I'm trying and I have no idea how to do it. And there would be times where, again, it would become sort of unremarkable, a glass of wine here or there, or going out with friends and, you know, drinking too much because you're in the company of other people. But I remember thinking, like, I couldn't say no to it when I wanted it. Like, and that was a hard place to be. And I kept thinking, like, of that, there's that scripture, it's in Corinthians, Second Corinthians 12, 9 says, when Paul's talking about that thorn in his side, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you, and, so, and my power is made perfect in weakness. And this became such a huge source of guilt for me, because I kept thinking, like, God, your grace is sufficient for me. And I was measuring my faith by, like, whether or not I could give up alcohol in any given moment. And I would, so 
I would might like have a couple glasses of wine or split a bottle of wine with a friend or a bottle and a half of wine with a friend. And then the next day I would not only like have all the physical fallout from alcohol and the terrible sleep and, you know, whatever hangover might appear. But I was also like, I'm such a bad Christian. Like, I'm just such a terrible, terrible, like, like God, like, what Christian mm-hmm. can say that God's grace is not sufficient for them? And like, oh my gosh, I must not be a Christian if his grace isn't sufficient enough for me to say no to alcohol in these moments. And it was like this back and forth and back and forth. And the pandemic hit, I ended up like going outside a lot more and really not thinking about alcohol too much. So again, like sort of unremarkable. And then I I think I ended up sort of reaching this point with it though where I went through another like major life change where I I changed careers and I had been in boarding school for 12 years so I like I never learned how to like live on my own I never paid rent I never paid utilities I like never did that so I uh I I feel like God is calling me like to that it's I'm, it's time to make a shift. And so I'm still in education, but I switched out of boarding school. And I really felt like he was telling me like that part of this was that like he had been telling me along this journey to like keep praying for the husband that I desired in my heart. And, and I really felt strongly that when he led me out of boarding school, he was leading me into that. It didn't look like how I thought it was going to look. I like got this great job and I, I I was so excited to start it. And then that didn't pan out the way I thought it would. Sorry, I know all the gory details of that one. So I'm, I'm giggling, but we don't have to, we don't have to go to that. Have respect for, you know, yeah. things. But yeah, it just didn't pan out the way I thought it would. And again, I was like, lost and like terrified and like what did I just do to my future (laughs) like like I had a future and now I like don't have a future and it's terrifying and I don't know what's happening next and uh and I also thought like I I thought I had met somebody that was like potentially where God was leading me and that wasn't it and it's so funny because like you know fast forward like four months and it was absolutely where God was leading me because like I met my husband. Well, we little did I know we had already met, and like, but he became. We fell in love, and he actually, you know, became my husband along that journey. So I reached a point though with all of that anxiety and with all of like this change fatigue. Just I mean, just so many, so many changes in in my life that I got to the point where I was like tired of wrestling with alcohol, where. I was just like, really, I was like, God, I'm done with this hamster wheel. I don't have any tools. And it, the apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7, like, I don't know why I do this thing I don't want to do. I do the thing I don't want to do. I don't do the thing that I want to do. And he can't figure it out. And all of a sudden at the end of it, it says, oh, what a wretched man I am. And I'm like, yeah, that's where I am. Like, like, God, I love you, and I don't know what to do, and I don't have any tools to keep going into this try-and-fail cycle. And so I kind of just gave up on quitting for a while. I quit trying to quit. I ended up 
kind of leaning into wherever we're like, all right, I'm going to have a couple beers. And then, and this like drinking kind of increased along with like all of this life doesn't look the way I thought it would look which is, you know, kind of how I started drinking is that like, it doesn't look the way I want it to look. I'm scared and lost. I'm a little lonely. I'm far from my people. I don't know what to do. So I'm just gonna do this. You know, and it's funny, I wasn't drinking heavily every night. I wasn't like, I'd say I was drinking pretty regularly, but I wasn't drinking like heavily regularly. You know, every once in a while, I'd get drunk or I'd get um, you know, what I don't know what you would call it, like carried away. But I that wasn't like sort of the MO. I wasn't like raging like I did in my younger days. Um, it was around that time I was like, all right, I'm still like, I still want to quit. I just, you know, when some when a toolbox comes up that I can go get, <laughs> when I have the tools to quit rather than to continue to like try and fail, I'm uh, I'll go after that. And so I was following like quit social media. And, you know, I wasn't reading Quitlet yet, but I was like keeping an eye out. I think I downloaded the I Am Sober app a few times and deleted a few times and made a few more attempts, but was really just exhausted and wrung out on it. And it was somewhere around like, I don't know, and, and a lot of like a lot of alcohol free things out there, a lot of Instagrams and stuff would kind of drive me a little bit bonkers because they were like secular. And I noticed something on Christie's one day that was like, she was talking about Jesus. And I was like, that. <laughs> like, this exists. Finally, I knew it. I knew I'd be able to. And I think I like searched like Christian alcohol-free Instagram. And because your name is Christy, it came up. With the oh my gosh, even, that's like, wild. Was like, yeah, yeah. So it was like, that's how I found it. And then I was like, well, she's not. She's not a Christian, but, you know, like her Instagram's pretty. So I guess I'll follow that. So I, I was like, I, I don't know, her stuff seems cool. And then I found out you were a Christian. And but it was still a few months before I even I, I was like several months before I even like reached out because in that time, like my dad had gotten really, really sick and none of us knew what was going on. And then my my husband and I got married in April of this year. And then two months later, my dad actually passed away. And then a month after that, like we had this memorial service and there was a lot kind of wrapped up into that. And, you know, there were two sort of significant instances that stuck out to me that kind of made me go like, this isn't the way I want to live. This isn't this isn't the path I want to go down. And one was that I was like trying to I, I went to get on the airplane after he had died. I went to get on the airplane and I had sort of held it together for so many days that I got on the airplane and I was like, give me all the Prosecco you have. Like, I, as soon as I got to the airport, like I got through the gate and I was like, oh, there are many bottles of Prosecco. Like, I'm going to get that. And, you know, started drinking at the airport. I think I had three before the plane even took off. I had more on the plane, more at the Chicago airport. And then I get home and my husband's like, well, <laughs> you're you're lit. <laughs> Like, yep. <laughs> I think I even told him, I was like, I'm really, really drunk. <laughs> he's like, oh, I know. <laughs> and like, bless his heart, he's not judgmental at all. You know, so there was that moment where I was like, okay, well, that's a blip on the radar, not normal. And then I went home and we had my dad's memorial service. It was in the backyard. 
beautiful. I gave a speech and held it together. And then once everybody went home, I was like, all right, now I'm just going to kind of let go. And there, so I opened up a bottle of like sparkling wine with my sister and we drank through that. And I was like, really like, like, and I don't, I don't remember being like, I, I don't know, it was probably pretty, pretty toasty, but, uh, but not like blackout or anything like that. I remember like being in the kitchen with my brother though, and I, all the kids had gone to bed. Because it was just like family and a couple of neighbors who were over for fireworks and stuff like that. And I, we were in the kitchen and all the kids had gone to bed and I was being really, really loud, saying everything super loudly. <laughs> oh, my brother looks at me and goes, Brittany, shh, how much have you had to drink? And I was like mortified, like just absolutely so embarrassed. I was, and all I could think was like, he still thinks I'm the party animal I was when I was like 19 years old. Like that's all my family sees when they look at me. That's what they expect. It was so embarrassing. And I think even in my drunken state, I filled out the form to talk to Christy that night. And uh, we started working together and uh, like the first meeting, she's like, so is today your day zero? And I was like, no, it's not. I have to go back up to Michigan and there's no way, like, I don't have any tools to quit drinking. So no, I'm not going to like, and she's like, okay, you don't have to. She goes, but when you go up there, I want you to, any time that you can drink as much as you want, but when you have a drink, I want you to go through these like mindfulness questions. Just ask yourself, like, you know, what's your state of mind? What job are you assigning that drink? And that was like, the biggest revelation for me was like, what job am I assigning this? Because the first night we got in town, I had worked and I was really exhausted from work because I was taking a lot of time off and then going back to work. And then I was just playing catch up. And so every every time I would go to work, it was like double the work. And so we, I got out of work that day. We drove eight hours to Northern Michigan and my husband and I, I really wanted to take him to this bar that my family loved to eat at. It was like bar and restaurant. And everybody there knew my dad. They came up a zillion times and said they were sorry for his passing and stuff. And it was really emotional. But mostly I was really wrung out and I wanted a beer. And I was like, well, what am I like? What am I trying to assign to this? And Sunny, because she said, like, take notes while you do it. And honestly, I didn't take a single note because all of the answers were so impactful because it was like, this is the job. Oh, it can't do that job. So cross that off. So like, like, don't drink when it's that job. So the job I was trying to assign to it that night was to, like, help me feel connected to my husband. That I felt like really disconnected from him because of all the work and all the emotions and just how exhausted and wrung out we were. I was like, this beer is going to connect us. It's not. It's probably going to make me irritated in a few minutes. (laughs) So it's probably going to divide us a little bit somewhere along the way. And so I was like, oh my gosh, it can't do that job. It's such a liar. Yeah. And then, and then like the next day we went on a fishing trip with my brother and I can't remember what job I was trying to assign to it, but it couldn't do that one either. And so I remember I like was drinking a beer like in the river and I just quietly like poured it out in the river. 
was like, I was like, can't do that job either. So I switched to like some sparkling lemonade and it really like came to a head at by Thursday. So this is like Saturday. We were sitting in that bar and then like by Wednesday, my, my mom and my husband and I went out to, to eat at a pizza restaurant and I was like, well, and I just like really wasn't enjoying the beer. And I don't know, like it started to just make me, th- I don't know, or any of the drinks, like any, nothing sounded good. It just started to sound like kind of icky and I don't know. So I was like, I don't know what it, 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 I ordered something and then it didn't taste good. So I ordered a different thing. I didn't finish that. I ordered a different thing and it didn't taste good. And I was like, what job am I trying to assign this? And like, why do I want to fit this? round peg into the square hole and i was like i think i'm just trying to make it be the thing that accompanies pizza i was like well club soda can do that so there to club soda and i looked at my husband i said i think i'm done drinking and he was like okay i was like i think i'm like i think i'm done with this stuff and that night we we ate out like a zillion times that week but that night we went out to this restaurant and it was like really put to the test. It was all like really this was a final culminating moment. And I I was sitting there. We had like an hour and a half wait for a restaurant because I'm from a resort town and they don't take reservations in the summer, which I think is criminal. But <laughs> so we're sitting there for an hour and a half. And normally I would have gone to the bar and grabbed like a couple drinks in that hour and a half. And I was like, okay, we'll just go through it. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just have like this one last drink to get through this wait. And I was like, well, what what job am I assigning it? And I was like, probably to stave off boredom. And is it really gonna do that? I was like, it's not, it's it's not. Like it's I'm gonna feel icky. Like I'm gonna feel like the inflammation set in. My fingers are gonna swell. I'm gonna bloat right away. It's gonna make me irritated. And like, I don't know. It's just, it, it's probably gonna give me that gross, like, taste in the back of my throat, which I haven't thought about in like 90 days, by the way. <laughs> and, and like, I'm like, it's probably just gonna be gross. And right then, as I'm like wrestling with this idea, this couple walks in and they walk up to the bar and they sit there because that's where you get, that's what you get to do when you're not waiting an hour and a half for a table. You just get to go right up to the bar. And uh, <laughs> which we still do, by the way. <laughs> but they she goes up to the bar and she orders the most glorious glass of Prosecco. It was like in the perfect flute with the perfect lighting just coming down like out of the clouds. And it's just, and the bubbles, it was like the perfect carbonation. This was first sip of the bottle, Prosecco. And I was like, she's, she's drinking my Prosecco. <laughs> so mad. And I was sitting there like, I'm going to go order a glass of Prosecco. And, and I want the first sip out of the bottle. And then I just, but I just watched her for a few minutes. And I don't know if this was like from God or if this was actually happening, but she had walked in all happy and bright and lovely. And she and her husband just like sit up there and they're talking and having a good time. And then all of a sudden, like, she wasn't having a good time anymore. And she just like, she looked irritated. And I, I don't mean this disparagingly, but I could like watch her bloat, like right there. She was like, 
Like all those things that I said were going to happen, were going to happen if I drank the Prosecco, were, were happening right in front of me. And I was like, she looks miserable. She looks irritated. I was like, that, that Prosecco is a liar. And it's, it's so funny because like, now I look back and I was like, done with it. I was definitely like, that was like the last time I was like, oh my gosh, this is the hardest thing. I was like, now after that, I was like, totally easy. But it gave me this picture because, you know, in the, in sort of like why I started drinking was that like God had a plan for me that was not packaged the way I thought it should be packaged. It didn't come wrapped in like a Tiffany's box, <laughs> you know, and it came, it came like messy and hard and also amazing. Like that, that university I didn't get into, I now have two degrees from. And later on, like as God's leading me into this like completely new life, it was not packaged the way I thought it should look. It was messy and ugly and hard and littered with like ugly crying and like late night phone calls with a pastor going like, did I hear God wrong? Did I hear him wrong? And I'm like, but, but it's, it's the right thing. Like he definitely has me on course. This is the good thing. You know, it's almost like, it's almost like somebody pulls up in your driveway with a Ferrari and you're like, well, it has a blue bow on it instead of a, a white one. You know, <laughs> like that's sometimes how we can act with like God's blessings. And it's so funny because like, I never have that sense with alcohol that it's packaged. It, that it is packaged like ugly. Like it's always packaged so beautiful. It's always like the perfect, you know, it's the perfect glass of Prosecco with the jewelry store lighting, making it look all sparkly. Or it's the perfect new can of something. I, I, you think of how many people like take pictures of their drinks because they're pretty. Like, oh my gosh, no. It's so funny. I'm like, Coming to this space, there's like, I think the harder work of giving up alcohol was sort of sitting with myself without alcohol mm -hmm. and like having that picture being like, okay, just lean into it though. Because like, usually if it's packaged kind of icky, like that's kind of, I don't know, that's always turned out fine in the past. <laughs> so I'm just going to lean into this and just trust that God is taking it somewhere because like he just keeps doing it. Yeah. So that's that's kind of how I, I I mean, like really overnight, I was like, nah, no more alcohol. I'm good. It was literally the, the <laughs> because it was like the discovery call, right? Where I was like, OK, so or was it the first call? It was a was it discovery call where I gave you those questions. Mm -hmm. I can't remember, but it was within the first two times that we spoke. Yeah. And she was like, no, I'm not ready. I'm like, OK, total, no big deal. We'll take a pause. Let's like go slow. No big deal. And then the next call, she's like, hi, I'm done. <laughs> Wait, what? She's like, I did the questions. I don't want to do it anymore. And then for the, the subsequent 11 sessions, we've been talking about all this great stuff. <laughs> I mean, we talk a little bit about alcohol, but we talk about everything else because you literally just nailed it, right? In the first like week because of asking those curious questions. Yeah. And I think like coupled with the brain science too, of being able to pinpoint it, like, well, this is going to make, if I have this, you know, I think there were like a couple of times where I was like, what if I drink right now? And there are a couple of times where I was like, okay, if I have this, I'm going to have like 10 minutes of dopamine because the way my brain, I have ADHD, 
which is already like less dopamine producing. So alcohol alcohol does not produce like that much more dopamine for me. My my dopamine doesn't get like 20 or 30 minutes. It's like 10 minutes. And then I'm just like uncomfortable and irritated and annoyed. <laughs> yeah. So like that, you know, as soon as I understood that too, and like understood the the dynorphin understood and understood like the healing process of like mm-hmm. it, it's gonna take a little bit of time and it's gonna be a little messy but it's it's it won't last forever so yeah yeah, yeah. go ahead me no I just I, yeah I'm taking it all in like Brittany your story I could just listen to you keep telling your story because number one it is just this beautiful uh like you said, everything is testimony and gosh, like just it's, it is a beautiful testimony to sitting at that stoplight and that moment where, I mean, I was just full chills thinking about how you're like, okay, God, like I feel you pursuing me and I don't, I don't know about Jesus. I don't know about this gospel thing, but like it was this like pivotal turn away from doing it, continuing to do life, like you know, kind of on your own terms in a sense, I think. I mean, it, that's what it looks like. I, I'm not going to mm-hmm. speak for you or for, <laughs> for God in that, but but it's a beautiful like example of how when we're stuck in something and we have all of this, all the stuff that if we just take like kind of that counterintuitive turn to curiosity and to the Lord and to uh, reaching out to another, you know, whether it's through a coach or a friend or whatever, it's like there's that that changes our trajectory in just the most beautiful way. And I think your story of just being like, being done with it, like, oh no, like I'm just done with it. It wasn't just because you were done with it. Like you were, Mm -hmm. like you through the Lord with the Lord together, we're working on it through all of that, like longing to like understand it and ask all those questions. And I just, it's just, it's just, it couldn't be, a more beautiful story, even though there were some really, really messy parts. So yes, mm-hmm. everything is testimony. It's just, I'm, ah, I love it. There's nothing brilliant <laughs> in what I have to say. Like, I, I just, I, I just can't. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. It's beautiful. Yeah. I think it's, it is so true that like, I think God grows our desires in us like so much sooner than he may realize them in our lives like you know he he puts a desire in our heart because he's going to do something and i i think like alcohol being alcohol free like is such a was such a catalyst for like so many things at this moment of like you know meeting christy and this is the time that i've always known that i was like called to be a writer and really having a sense that like now now it's time to write and you know, even the the name of my substat came from like one of my dad's old newsletters from when he was a fly fishing guide that I wouldn't have found. I wouldn't have known about without him passing. And so it's just like, it's so funny how he weaves the whole story. It's, it's that picture of the tapestry he is weaving where it looks like a total mess on the back. He's going to flip it over and it's going to be like the whole picture. And we can see what he was doing all along. And it's I think we get these glimpses along the way in our lives of like, yeah, he's really going to do that someday. Because like, there's a lot in our lives that we don't understand. It's really messy. Every day is like just full of messy and 
war and ugliness and and sin and all of it, right? And like we just know that like there's gonna be meaning in that someday. That God is always gonna turn those ugly mm-hmm. things to good. That like his his word is final and whatever he says he's gonna do, it's he's gonna accomplish it. And you know, it's so funny, but he he calls us that he doesn't just like kind of rip off band-aids the way we think he should. He he really calls us into that desire with him. And I just think how early I had that desire to go alcohol free and how much it it caused me to examine myself and my motives and my relationships and all of it. And I'm like, well, even that isn't isn't nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. that wasn't like those five years of like wanting to be alcohol free are not wasted. I mean, sometimes they were wasted, but (laughs) literally, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. but even our hardships are just not wasted to God, you know? Yeah, so true. So much. I love how you said that when you were saying, you know, Second Corinthians, uh, you're saying that verse and I was thinking of Christy who that's her like sobriety verse and so I thought you were going to say and that this is my you know like this is the verse and then you said and so I would you said it brought me so much shame like and and I wasn't expecting that in your story based on you know but all of it and can you talk a little bit more about because I can so relate to that it's like when I was a Christian in name only I you know or when I thought I was a Christian but maybe wasn't yet fully because I hadn't fully given my heart, like 100% of my heart to the Lord yet. I, the scripture could make me feel that shame, like, well, I'm not doing this right, when really it wasn't a matter of not doing the thing right or wrong. It, there was a heart matter that needed to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so I mean, I definitely had times where I, like, scripture, I was using it against myself, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, can you talk a little bit more about? Yeah, yeah. So I think, first of all, like in regards to alcohol, I think we get fed a lie that we wrestle with a lot, which is that alcohol reveals the person we really are. And we Mm -hmm. say the thing we would say and we do the thing we would do. And it's like who we actually are if we had the courage to be that person. I hate that one. I hate that. Like alcohol doesn't give you courage. It impairs your judgment. It makes you do things you would never do if you had control of your full faculties. It it messes with your hormones. It messes with your neurotransmitters. It messes with your body, which becomes like, you know, a sub distraction. It messes with everything. It's not who you are. But I think we have a choice, right? Like when I was young and I was not following Jesus, I made the choice that I would rather own that feral, drunk jagoff, that's a Pittsburgh word, by the way, who went to class drunk and threw all the parties and had that reputation. I would rather own her than own the lost and desperate and weak and vulnerable girl that I was. Because I didn't even, I honestly, I the word vulnerable was not in my vocabulary. And, you know, since then, I think I've, just sort of made it my mission in the Lord, like just be vulnerable with others whenever you can be, because we don't have time to waste with this garbage. We don't have time to waste putting on masks, right? So like, you know, that was that was who I was as a non-Christian. Like I would rather be that Mm -hmm. wild child than be that weakling. 
Well, with Jesus, Mm -hmm. I was like, now I know that that's not who I am, but I have to constantly grapple with the fact that I keep doing this thing that's turning me into somebody I'm not. And then, then like, so I'm spending half my time, like, as this Jesus girl, okay, I wasn't drinking half the time, but like, you know, most of my life as this Jesus girl, like proclaiming the name of Jesus and loving Jesus. And if you know me, like for more than an hour, you know that like, this is all I like to talk about. I don't, I I taught history. I like, I'm like, yeah, let's talk about history. In Jesus's time, (laughs) let's talk about biblical history. Yeah. (laughs) Why your sub stack is so good, by the way. (laughs) I love, like, I just love talking about Jesus. And so then I would be, you know, drunk, being an idiot, talking about Jesus. And (laughs) like, oh my gosh, you know, what a terrible witness. And I would, then I'd have to wrestle with like the person I am and the person I'm not and the identity I know I have and the identity I know God has not given me. And it's, it was this constant back and forth. And it kind of reminds you of like the prodigal son story. And I know Christy and I have talked about this like way back when, but this, the story of the prodigal son where he had just like messed up everything, right? He'd done whatever it was, whatever it was, he had done it all. And, you know, finds himself in this pigsty and goes home and the father runs out to greet him. And there's a lot of like good history around that, but the father runs out to greet him and throws him this party. But like, how did he wake up the next day? Like, was he, did he think like, I just don't deserve to be here because we don't get his response. We get the father's response, right? We get like, you know, you know, he says, you know, I've got your dad. I'm, you know, I've sinned against you. Like I'll work it off. Right. And the father's response is like, I love you. I forgive you. Let's throw a party. And we don't get, we don't get like any more of the prodigal son after that. And like, I wonder sometimes, like, I know it's a parable, so, it, you know, it's not like actual history, but like, how many of us are those prodigals? And after we received God's forgiveness, like how much we find ourselves wandering next to pigsties, still longing for those pods and really wrestling with that because those are these ingrained like behaviors that our sin made such a such a huge impact on us, you know? And so as Christians, we can really beat ourselves up because we're supposed to be out of the pigsty. We threw the big party, like the fattened calf was killed for us, and, you know, and Jesus Christ was slain on a cross for us. Like that should be enough. That should be sufficient. But in reality, like we still struggle in this world of sin. And, you know, and I think, I think that's where like Romans seven and eight, like just speak to me so strongly of like, even the apostles, like mm. even the mm. apostles wrestled with this stuff of like, man, I am not glorified yet. Like it's, I, I'm following Jesus, but I sure am not glorified. And I, I think churches can be a place where we kind of lie about that. And again, we don't have time to wear masks. So that's, that's something I'd love to see change everywhere. I think if we could say like, you know, this is the struggle. Like, this, these are the things I still struggle with. These are the things that I feel guilty around. I'm filling my brain and my heart with lies about my identity around and about how much God loves me or doesn't love me. And I'm filling my lies, filling myself with lies about like my relationship with God. 
And like, if we could say Mm. that more, we could encourage each other more and speak life over each other more. So, Mm. Amen. Yes. Well, it's like, like you said, putting away the masks and returning, you know, kind of without, without the masks, we are vulnerable. We are humans. We have that ability to show up as our real selves, which is to be human is to be vulnerable. And the more we get to see that in other people, you know, whether it's uh, sharing on a podcast or speaking, you know, to whatever it is, or a pastor from a pulpit. My pastor has been super, I mean, appropriately vulnerable from the pulpit that gives us that has, well, I'll, I won't speak for other people. I'll speak for myself, gives me the sense that like, oh, there is no shame in the fact that this is still something I have to work through. My, my anger, my, uh, my lust, my jealousy, my whatever those things are that then lead to the easy buttons used to be wine now is, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank with whatever, whatever, you know, everyday addiction is, is there picking up my phone, whatever. But like, that's, that's, it's so powerful in being able to have these conversations, the real, honest, vulnerable conversations so that others can see that like, you're not being a bad Christian and that's not what it's about. And like, even the apostles struggled with it. Like, that's the, the human nature that's, and it's, and it's okay. And once we know that, it's like, oh, okay, now I have access to this in a way that is totally different because I was spinning this story. I was stuck in the story that said, as a good Christian, uh, this should be fixed and solved and I should be done with this and I should be walking, not with the, you know, not aside the big stuff. Like, but yet here I keep finding myself and we keep fighting against that. So I love that you've painted that picture. And I think it gives so much hope for people who are, it really is so hard, right? As women, as moms, as men, as anybody, and just as humans to show up like in our real selves way. And it's alcohol makes a convenient, temporary, awful covering for us that, you know, doesn't do anything for us, but just keeps us further away from what we actually desire. Yeah. And living into what that is. So yeah. And don't we all just like, we all just want authenticity too. Yeah. You can can tell when somebody is like when their social media is authentic versus all of it's just fabricated and annoying. And you know, and, and you meet somebody who's authentic and still going, right? They have a struggle and they're still going. And it's like it's like drinking fresh water after you've been drinking out of mud puddles. Like it, there's something so refreshing from the so, in, for the soul when we talk about perseverance mm-hmm. and when we, just, you know, <laughs> there's just you know because it, it it's almost like not something. People talk about that much. And I, I don't know. I try to, I try to share as much as I can. I think in my Substack this week, I, I had to be honest that I had, I had a bout of an episode of PTSD on Friday night from, you know, my past marriage. And my husband watched this complete meltdown and he's looking at me like, <laughs> like, what's happening? And I was so ashamed and embarrassed and it disrupted my ability to like finish out my, my writing for this week. And I was like, you know what? Like, I've got some recycled writing I can pull up from like, you know, I've been doing this, I've been writing for a while. So I've got some recycled material I can use. 
And I'm just going to be honest about where I am and why I'm using like something from 2018. And I'm just going to tell them like I had an episode of PTSD and it was super, I was like ashamed and embarrassed and furious and all the things. And I'm sharing this with you because I want you to know you're not alone. I want you to help bear my burdens by praying for me. And when God heals this, I want you to celebrate with me because like that's, that's our community. And, you know, like, again, like I say it all the time, we just don't have time to put on masks. And I mean, literally, too, it took me like 10 minutes to put together like some recycled material and a heartfelt message. And if I had been trying to like finish out what I had originally written, I would have been up all night. (laughs) And it still wouldn't have been good because it wouldn't have been authentic. And, you know, we've been really forced to try and, I don't know, reach (laughs) too hard. Yeah. But what would you tell the listener who maybe is at the beginning of this or maybe not at the beginning of this, maybe knows, has had that talk, right, with themselves and with God and and knows that they're they're called to look at alcohol? Like, what would you say to encourage them as your tiny Tina? I'm going to give my motto. I would say if it looks like the high life, it's probably the lie life. I mean that in every way. I started saying that when I went on like a debt-free journey a few years ago and just decided like, you know what? Every time I see somebody driving a brand new vehicle, I'm going to assume they are swimming in debt and on the verge of bankruptcy. And you know what? A lot of time I'm right. (laughs) And uh, I, I mean, statistically speaking in America, I'm right. And I I think it's so true for social media. It's true for alcohol. It's true for, and it's true for alcohol in so many ways, right? You see that, that like job that you're trying to assign it to make you dazzling or more interesting or pretty or make the people around you more interesting. Like it's not going to do any of those things. And if everybody looks like they're having a really good time with alcohol, they're probably not. And like, I don't know, wait an hour and see. Wait Mm -hmm. an hour and see if they're still having a good time because they're probably not. Like even just saying, you know what, I'm not going to drink for the first hour of this party and I'm just going to observe everybody around me and see Mm -hmm. if after two drinks, I still think they're living this high life. They're not. They're not. They're falling apart. I love it. It's so true. And it's, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, babe, thank you for coming. Thank you so can much. Can I share my, can I share one more story? Yeah, go okay. for it. All right. Mm-hmm. So I wanted, I, I told you guys before we started recording, I've got this like picture of the gospel and al- sharing alcohol free. And I think like some of your listeners might not be completely sold on the idea, but I have this, I have a picture of this. Okay. So in the pandemic, I was running around the same park, like a five mile loop. Uh, probably like three or four times a week. And they had shut down all the drinking fountains and they had wrapped them in garbage bags and duct tape and stuff. It was really dramatic. And they, uh, I noticed sort of toward the end of, I don't know, whenever the pandemic ended, like one day all the drinking fountains were unwrapped and I could see like there was some water around the bases and stuff. And I was like, the drinking fountains are back. This is so good because I hate carrying water when I run. And I went up to a drinking fountain. I got a drink and I walked away from it. And this guy who had been like walking the same number of months I'd been running around the park, he's like, the drinking fountains don't work. And I was like, yeah, they do. They, they work. 
And he's like, no, they don't. They shut them off for COVID. And I said, yeah, but they turned them back on. No. And I was like, no, they like, I just drank from that one. And he's like, mm. and he was like, he's just like dead set against it. And I went up to another drinking fountain, like a like half mile later, and I got another little drink. And he still like didn't believe it. And I thought, this is like sharing the gospel. This is like, this is what it is to tell somebody like, I have found the stream of living water that will never run dry. Like, you know, I have found Jesus and they'll tell you, how did you get through that hard time? How did you get through like an abusive marriage and divorce? And I say, Jesus. And they're like, nah. And I'm like, no, no, literally I did it. I, that's what I did. And I got through it. And I'm telling you, it was Jesus. No, that drinking fountain's off. <laughs> but I drank from that. And that's like how it is to share with people that I'm alcohol free. They're like, how do you have so much energy? How do you have so much time? How do you get up at 4.30 in the morning? Which was never a thing I did in the past. And like, how are you so happy not drinking? And I'm like, because like, I know the truth. I know the truth. Remember, the truth sets you free. And they're like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Love it. It's it's so Same true. Frustration. I love it. <laughs> like the drinking fountain is on. Just drink from it. <laughs> but yeah. And so. the, I, what I love about that story is because he didn't try it, right? And so. Yeah. It's the same thing as pe all these people that don't believe that we're so happy on over here living our alcohol-free yeah. lives, but they won't actually try the fountain, right? Yeah. But they have yeah. these hardcore beliefs that everything that we're saying is a lie, but they won't even give it a try. Yeah. There's comfort in the story that that fountain does not work. Like yeah. there's, there's some kind in that, like, even though that is the thing that will actually, it's like some you know, false way of soothing the discomfort that's there by not mm -hmm. believing, just like when we're stuck in the drinking cycle and all of those stories that keep us stuck that maybe we're starting to pay attention to, but we're still like, yeah, no, it's, it's like, I mean, I've, I've always said like, I don't, I, I didn't have a drinking problem. I had a thinking problem, but the more that I think about it and even just hearing your story today, I think deeper than that is I had a vision problem. Like, I, which of course is related to the you know thinking in the mind and all right but like maybe for the listeners who's out there right now who's like okay like I it's not that I and you said this in your story Brittany and I know we're wrapping Christy so I got you girl I got you I'm don't worry I'm not is, forgetting you guys it is my bedtime I know I know <laughs> but but like you even said like I want to be able to say no to alcohol like it was you know, yeah. quitting drinking, but I want to be able to like say no, which to me meant you wanted to change your desire for alcohol, which was really, really huge in my journey too. I was like, no, I don't want to not drink. I want to be able to not want to drink because that's mm -hmm. what would give me freedom. Not drinking. I've done that and I'm miserable. And so like meaning even for the listener who's out there, it's like, pray for God to change your vision because what you described about the woman at the bar who came in and ordered that beautiful Prosecco and all of that, you had like, you saw it one way and then you saw it totally differently. And true. it's, I mean, it's your whole story with the fountain and the guy and not like he, he wanted to still see it his way. And that's yeah. where it's so hard until you're open to the vision change and open to the mind change. And then ultimately the heart change that comes with it, yeah. then yeah. yeah, you keep spinning the stories and staying stuck. But Yep. Thank you for sharing. It's, it's the true meaning of freedom, too, that like we're alcohol free. We are not white knuckling. Alcohol is not like it doesn't have some power over me where I'm like every time my husband brings home a beer, I'm like, I wish I could have that. You know, yeah. like I'm free, like free and clear. Done. 
<laughs> you know, so like that's what being alcohol free is. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Oh, so good. Well, thank you for like you're just such this light and this like refreshing, just beautiful. I told you. I know. <laughs> I just want to keep listening to you talk because you are, oh. and you're like, I, I mean, you are. Oh gosh, just. Thank you for sharing vulnerably and beautifully and all the things. What a gift. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks, Britt. We will put the link to your Substack in the show notes. And I'm sure we'll have you back. Let's just be honest. All right. (laughs) I accept. (laughs) All right, ladies. See you next Monday. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. You can find all of our episodes at butjesusdrankwine.com and make sure you follow us over on the gram at Love Life Sober with Christy and Mead at I'm Not Sober, I'm Free. To learn more about what we do, you can visit our websites at meadhollandshirley.com and lovelifesober.com. Take a screenshot of this podcast and share it with a friend or two. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't have to worry about missing a single episode. And if you love what we're doing, please leave us a review on Apple or Spotify. This helps more women who are feeling stuck and alone in the overdrinking cycle to find hope and encouragement. Thanks, ladies. We so appreciate you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.